something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes. We're seeing things in a different way. God knows it ain't his. It sure ain't no surprise. Yeah, we're living on the edge. Hey, welcome to Two Beats Off Podcast, episode number 11. Uh, we've got a small crew here today. Justin, how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm great. MC we've got here. Uh, had to miss last episode, but he's back and in full form. How's it Glad going, to MC? be here. Sorry I missed the last one, guys. It's okay. He's got his rumple mints, and we're all ready to go. Justin has his ginger ale, and I have a rum and coke. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing potent in my ginger ale. Nothing potent. Since you're drinking the ginger ale, does that mean you're sick? No, it's just the soda we had in the fridge to mix with alcohol. <laughs> um, I, my grandmother only fed me ginger ale when I was sick as a child. So <laughs> you said it's Saturday night and I have like a sober drink, and I almost did like the internet Karen thing where I was like, the days all meld together here in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Having fun yet? Listen, Justin, watch. Is it, watch, is watch it Tuesday or July? <laughs> I'm upset with your slur there, Justin. You can't Ooh. just go calling all middle aged white women on the internet Karen and get away with it. Not right, in this day and age. <laughs> I can't even do that with a straight face. <laughs> That's a good point my, to bring up, though. Good, my, yeah. My mom post posted a meme like a week and a half into the stay-at-home order. It was like, "Is it Tuesday or is it July? I don't know where I am." And I'm like, <laughs> "Mom." So, speaking of moms, I want to give a shout out to um, Tanner Jones' mom because she has gone to all social media platforms and liked the episode <laughs> with Tanner. As Twitter. She- Twitter, oh, awesome. Instagram, Facebook, she's liked it all. So shout out to Tanner's mom. That was really cool. Oh, yeah. I was like, maybe it's his sister. Then I clicked. I was like, no, that's Tanner's mom. You know so. Tanner's sister. Well, yeah, I didn't know. Maybe he had another one. Oh, okay. Fair enough. There's no limit to sisters. This isn't China. Yeah, and let's be honest. <laughs> everyone, everyone, we know, everyone we know in the scene has like a hidden sister that they keep a secret from all all their friends because they're worried that that sister's <laughs> going to end up dating one of their scumbag friends. The whole China joke was hilarious, though. I was going to say, can we take a moment to reflect on there's no limit to sisters as in China? <laughs> Does anyone in China even have a sister? Don't they just, like, preemptively get rid of that problem? I don't know. That was a, like a thing that was true for a while, right? They could only have one kid. There, yeah, there's some sort of I, I don't want to say what there is because I don't know. Um, at one point, at one point, I believe that was true. I don't know that it still is, but so I, I don't want to speak to it either. But that that was a thing that seemed to be quote unquote common knowledge that there was a one child policy in China for quite some time to try to. Um, stem the population growth because they hit a billion people and we're just, I don't know, the population is exploding. This segment of Two Beats Off podcast is called Talk Shit on China and is brought to you by the Donald Trump administration. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> oh, for doing it. No, no, no. <laughs> so, okay, I'll, I'll bring up China. We can bring up China. So oh, one no. of my... 
favorite no. bands. No, here, here. This is this brings it right back to music, guys. I'm bringing it right back to music. So one Ooh. of my favorite bands that has played the garage over the past few years is a band from Shanghai, China, which is in the Wuhan province, um, called Round Eye, and it's the, the name should give it away, but not to everyone. Um, being Round Eye in China, it is people of Caucasian descent living in Shanghai playing in a kind of noisy garage punk band and they come to the States and tour normally once a year. And, um, their singer Chachi has been posting a lot of really crazy updates through this whole, um, coronavirus thing, because obviously they got hit with it well before we did. And one of the things that happened recently, I think it was about, it was probably two or three weeks ago now. Um, where he is at in Shanghai has opened up to the point where they're allowed to go see like a concert, a local band playing in a smaller venue. Now everyone had to wear masks and stuff, but he was able to go see a band play. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I don't think that's going to happen here in Pennsylvania or the United States for uh, not in the foreseeable future. But I was really happy that from seeing some of his posts early on where, like, he was getting harassed by the police for walking his dog and he was wearing a mask, but he didn't have some sort of mask on the dog to a month and a half later. Hey, I get to see my friend's band play at a local, you know, dive bar or whatever. We all had to wear masks, but it was great to see everyone. There is another side to this where maybe it's not the normal we knew three months ago, but there is another side where they have figured out how to get to a point where they can have a social interaction again. So that gives me hope because I've been pretty down about this whole situation the past few weeks, honestly. We should get him on the podcast. That'd be great. I mean, we totally could. I, I could message him. Let's do so, that. I think that'd be cool. Um, I mean, he, he's a lot of fun. Like we, I've, Every time they've played here, they have one been phenomenal live band and two hung out and had a good time with us. So, uh, just a quick update on that, um, child restriction in China. I read up on it while listening to you do that. Um, currently it's a two child policy and you're eligible to have two children. If you or your spouse were an only child under the single child policy that was enacted in the seventies. Hmm. Because, and the reason they changed it was because single children were growing old and having to financially support both their parents and four grandparents. Fair <laughs> and enough. Yeah, and they're like, this is goofy. Um, Justin, when so was the last time you held a gun? When was the last time I held a gun? Yeah. Well, when we were cleaning out my pap's house. Okay. So not like last couple weeks. Um, before that, maybe a year. My, I was just my, bro my brother and yeah, my family has guns. Stoyer has quite a few. I only ever held a gun when my boss at Allstate passed his around the office. That's I'm going to be honest. Like, <laughs> like my, my view right now might be a little skewed from watching like a lot of like documentaries on cults and stuff. I recently watched a documentary documentary on Waco and how like that whole thing became way out of hand because the ATF was. Wait, did you watch a documentary? Did you watch the Netflix series? I started watching the Netflix series. I watched like one or two episodes, but I've watched like two documentaries on that in the past few weeks. 
and the ATF was really, really reeling from like some bad publicity from other things going on right before that. So they had to come in like they tried to get a good publicity thing with Waco coming in guns blazing and it blew up in their face. So while you were talking a little bit ago, MC, you said arm to the teeth twice. And I was like, I bet there's a fun story behind that saying there's not really. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm always interested in the origins of saying so it, uh, it came from the 14th century and referred to knights who literally wore head to foot armor. So it's like arms from your feet to your teeth. And I was like, ah, it would have been more fun if it was like tiny guns for your teeth or something. But or maybe like even <laughs> even then, like if it was knife and they were like, I've got a sword, I've got a shield, but in my teeth, I've got a knife as a backup. But yeah, sound- or or plates in your mouth that, that you could bite someone and like tear flesh or something. That would have been cool too. But, I mean, if we're being no. like down to earth here, the best weapon you have is your is teeth. Your teeth. Um, you can't really argue that until you pick up like a rock. Well, I mean, like the best weapon that's a part of your body. Um, yeah, you're on naked. You're on naked and afraid on Discovery Channel, and you've got to fight something. It's your teeth. I'm definitely not pulling out Stevie D. <laughs> Is that what you call it, <laughs> Stevie oh. D? I'm gonna segue. Wait, hold on, MC. Does that stand for? Does that stand for Stevie Dick? Is that, is that what you're? We have to assume that, Justin. God, that's something you just need. It's. it's I want him to say it. I want him to confirm it. We're, we're just letting it go. I think everyone assumes Stevie D is Stevie Dick. Stevie Dicks. It's like Stevie yeah, Dick say, but with it, a D. Yeah. Is it a Fleetwood Mac reference, Stephen? No. I'm weirded I'm out by the fact anymore. that Steven has the shortest hair right now. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Steven, like... has your hair ever been longer than mine, Steven? Maybe Probably. I mean, when when we did that AFI set, I let it grow because I wouldn't have a devil's lock, but it went past my chin. It just curls up like, you know, my pubes. Ah. I saw my first Misfits branded uh, COVID face mask on Facebook today. Sick. Oh, man. I'm going to get into that. So... <laughs> A lot of companies, a lot of bands are selling like face masks and I it's it pretty feels gross. wrong in my gut. It feels pretty wrong gross. in my gut. Yeah, it's it gross. does, but at the same time, I don't know how many people who are like, Where can I get a face mask? Where can I get a face mask? Yeah. So like I mean, we sell them at work now and I'm like, that's kind of shitty. But then I'm like, well now I can tell people who say where can I get a face mask? Here you go. Although an old guy that was like 80 walked in without one and then grabbed one right in front of me and then walked away. And then I found the wrapper for it later and he walked out wearing it. It's the 20, it's the 2020 edition of like eating a donut in the store. <laughs> yeah, <pretty laughs> old people do that all the time in the, in the grocery store. Old people steal so much. Mm-hmm. We had, I work in, I, uh, I don't know, I probably gave it away. I, I work in a hardware store and we had an old guy in one of the like electric mark carts, the little like motorized scooters. He stole one of our display DeWalt drills. Like he literally <laughs> ripped, ripped the tag, like the, the thing that connected it to the counter off of it and put it in his jacket and rolled out. And our asset protection guy stopped him outside and was like, hey man, 
this is like the sixth time we've seen you do this. We've got a case against you. The police are going to be here, so you need to go back inside. And he left in handcuffs. He wow. got in a motorized car. Surprise, uh. he can walk. <laughs> I was going to ask about the little like cord that attaches it to the display because I've picked he, him up just, before. He figured out a way to slide off. He took the battery off and slid that off. And uh. yeah, he just shoved it in his jacket. And, and I mean, if you don't know, a DeWalt drill is over $100 each. Some of them over $200, depending on what you're getting. Did he do that recently? Uh, it was last, yeah, earlier this week. Yeah. Because you've got to assume now that every single one of your display tools has COVID all over it. I hope. Without further ado, let's go to the interview with Sonny from Hate Five Six. All right. Um, I guess we'll just get started. Usually we start back um, as far back as we can go. Where did you grow up, Sonny? I grew up in uh, southern New Jersey, for better or for worse. Okay. Do you uh, remember like how you first found underground music in southern New Jersey, or was it after that? Uh, it was around the same. So it must have. So my older brother got me into music. I mean, early '90s. He he got like a was a Columbus, what was what was the mail order thing where you would send like a penny and then send, they'd send you like 10, 10 CDs. Columbia um, House. Columbia House, that was it. So he did that. I remember he got in a lot of trouble because he thought he was getting a good deal, and then my parents got like hit with a bill later. So he ended up getting like the first Rage record, uh, Soundgarden, Doctor Dre's Chronic, Jimi Hendrix, like James Brown, all kinds of stuff. So that that was like early '90s. I must have been like six, seven years old. Yeah, yeah. And my older brother basically got me into music to begin with. Um, so fast forward to like 2000, 2001, I was like a freshman in high school. Um, my brother took me to Ozfest that year. So I got to see like Sabbath and who else played? It was like Sabbath, Slipknot, Disturbed, like Crazy yeah. Town, Lincoln Park. It was like, you know, all kinds of stuff that I would not want to listen to today. Did Crazy Town just play that Butterfly song over and over again? Yeah, they basically played that for like 30 minutes straight. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, hey, uh, Hatebreed played the, the side stage, and that was like the first time I had ever seen like a legit hardcore band. I was like, yo, what the hell is this? And that like really stuck with me. So around the same time I started going to shows, again, my friends were starting like punk bands and stuff. And, like, I didn't know anything about punk. My only exposure to anything in that world was, like, seeing Hatebreed, hearing about Inside Out through, like, my obsession with Rage, and maybe some other stuff here and there. So when I heard, heard like, friends in high school were starting, like, punk bands, I was like, oh, like, let me come out and, like, hang out and just get exposed to it. So it must have been around, like, 2000 in southern New Jersey where I was going to just bands that high school bands were playing, uh, shows that high school bands were playing, so everything from, like, punk to really bad hardcore to ska to like everything in between and that's roughly around the time that i was trying to figure out how i wanted to be involved in it like i didn't really have any interest in playing music and i was really big into riding bmx at the time and i still am and so i, I had a video camera because i was like filming myself riding a lot and i was like oh maybe if i could like film some of these shows that could be a way for me to like you know be involved and i thought in my head at the time i thought it'd be cool to like somehow get the footage out to people and you know I, I thought like oh maybe i'll like sell dvds in the hallway at school and like people will buy it and then they'll find out about this band that just played or whatever so that's largely how i got interested in like wanting to use a video camera to, to be involved in it but yeah it, it all it all 
began around 2000-2001. What, uh, how far from Philly were you uh, growing up in South Jersey? Maybe like 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes. So my parents still live near uh, – they moved, they moved to town over, but they're still not far from, from Philly. But, like, Philly was always the home scene, I guess. I never actually went – the first show that I went to in Philly – must have been like 2004, 2005. At that point, I was in college, and I remember coming into the city to see Dillinger's Escape Plan play at the church. And there's a video from that show, um, someone shot from the crowd, and you can see me just like in the pit, like not moshing, but like scared out of my mind because I didn't know what was going on. Um, <laughs> but I had always envisioned like, oh, one day I'll like live in Philly. Like Philly was a place that I always wanted to live in. Like I had known that there was like a huge scene here and like bands were always coming through. So um, I was a part of, even though I never like came into the city much, just being living in South Jersey. Like I went, I was always going on like Philly, hardcore indie, like message boards at the time, early to mid 2000s. So I was like sort of absorbing things from afar and like thinking like, oh, one day I'll like, I'll actually like go and like spend time there. What was your uh, username on the message board? That it was, uh, it was flat fear. <laughs> So Black Fear was the name of a BMX DVD. Uh, it, it's actually one that I never actually saw. I just really liked the name Flat Sphere. And so uh, that's what I went under. Um, someone on the message board was all, they went by hate five, six, but it was the word F I V E. And I remember, so the story with hate five, six is that um, I didn't come up with it. It was a thing that like other people had been using as a way to like, so the area code where we grew up in Jersey was eight, five, six. So there were, I remember there were like, there was like a live journal that some girl had and she called it like eight, five, six, like a typical, like what you would imagine, like <laughs> an angsty teen would call the area code. And I remember hearing, I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. So I, I actually stole the name from someone. I've, they haven't hit me up about it, but uh, that's where that came from. Um, but yeah, so my username on that board was Flatter. And actually my first YouTube channel was Flatter. So if you go on YouTube, you type in Flatter, you'll see, my very first YouTube channel. It's basically like, there might be like a BMX video or two. There's some like raging as machine clips that I ripped from a DVD and maybe just some other random math, like nonsense. Um, but it was, it was maybe like 2007 when I, or 2006, 2007 when I started using the name hate five, six. Um, before that I was like filming shows in high school under the name Blaze and Asian productions. I don't know why that was the name. <laughs> uh, I'm straight edge. I've never, I've never blazed up. I've never been high, but the name, the name just sounded fucking cool to me. So I just rolled with it. No, that's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what was the first show you ever filmed? Do you know the lineup? I'd have to think about it. Um, there was, there were two bands that I filmed a lot when I was in high school. And again, they were like, uh, they were bands I was friends with or through a mutual friend. And so one was roadside assistance was a three piece punk band. I pretty much filmed all of their stuff. They were probably one of the first bands that I filmed. And then the other band was lower Marion. Um, they were from, I think probably the Pennsylvania burbs and they were more of like an indie rock band. I filmed them like religiously. So those are the two in terms of like the very first show that I filmed. Yeah. It would have to be one of their two shows. Um, Around the same time, again, so maybe like 2001, 2002, um, some friends in high school were starting like a collective. Like they wanted to like form a collective that would like book shows and be a, be a, like a DIY operation. We were called Punk's Haven, P-U-N-X Haven. Um, so the idea was like we would put on shows, we would have someone 
it was basically a place for all of us to learn how all the things work. So someone who wanted to learn sound could like come to the show and like run sound. Someone who wanted to learn how to like run lights, they could like do that. And so everyone had their like role. Someone was like booking, someone was working the door. And my role, I was like, Oh, I'll film the shows and like, I'll like do something with the footage. So that's also a lot of the shows, early shows that I filmed were like punks Haven shows as well. So there was a show that we put on at um, this ice rink. It's a, it's a lobby the lobby of an ice rink in Southern New Jersey and Bayside played. And this is before they were like huge. And we apparently we told them there was going to be a really like amazing turnout and everything. And literally it was like maybe 10 people showed up plus the band. And apparently I, I haven't verified this, but other people, people have uh, apparently if you ask them to this day, what was the worst show they played? They'll say it was that show. So I guess that's something to be proud of that. They remember the show that we put on along those same lines. Do you remember what the first set, uploaded to hate five six or shared as hate five six was i want to say actually i can i can tell you um i vividly remember shooting the four punch reunion in philly um that must have been like october 2007 that was 07 right yeah that was that was october 28 2007 so I, I got filmed that by an fsu guy that show knocked me out <laughs> who knocked you out some guy, some FSU dude hit me in the face. Like, I wasn't even moshing. I was just trying to, like, pass by and got clocked right in the fucking temple. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> huge, huge. I want to say, yeah, that might have been the the four punch show, might have been the first show that I filmed under 856. Um, I think I was starting to, like, dabble with the name with some of the high school bands. It was, but it was only, it was, it was that four punch show that I think was the first time I was like, you know what, this is going to be what I'm going to call this thing. So circling back a little bit, I don't want to for, forget to ask this before we get too far, but uh, do you remember um, what your first tape record or cassette that you owned was or that you can remember? Like hardcore? No, no, just in general. It's usually something really stupid, like we've gotten Ghostbusters soundtrack, that kind of stuff. Oh, let me think. Oh, you know what? I remember being in second grade, and I was really obsessed with Aerosmith, and I was in India – that's that spring or that winter or spring visiting cousins and my older cousin surprised me with the tape of get a, get a grip because it had living on the edge on it and i remember seeing that music video all the time and i watched that music video religiously when it was on mtv and so he surprised me with get a grip and i think that might have been the first tape that i owned i may have gotten like a weird al cassette before that but i want to say that the first one that i really cherished was was Aerosmith's get a grip that's a solid answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as, as soon as you said Aerosmith, I knew it was going to be get a grip. I don't know why. And what's funny is like, I remember opening it up and like the image on the inside was a bunch of nipples and I didn't know what they were. And it was only until I was like <laughs> much older. I was like, wait a minute. Those are fucking tits. Like what? <laughs> I was in second grade and my cousin was like, yeah, you can have this. This is not, this is not child appropriate. I remember being really embarrassed when I was young and walking through uh, angry young and poor in Lancaster and uh, walking by a dwarf CD every time. Yeah, I remember bringing that record home, and yeah, same thing. Just well, I can't sit this one up on the record player while it's playing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I want to say that was the first one. I also have like a vivid memory of calling a radio station. I had to look up the year. I remember I called a radio station because I was really obsessed with. Um, well, let me tell the story before I reveal the song. So I called the radio station because I really wanted to hear the song. So they were like, they answered the phone. They're like, what do you want to hear? And my, I must have been uh, eight, nine, ten. I don't remember. But I was like, I want to hear, 
was the song? It was, uh, oh shit. Um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, okay. It was it was more human than human by White Zombie. <laughs> so <laughs> the guy answers the phone and he's like, "What do you want to hear?" I was like, "I want to hear White Zombie's more human than human." And he's like, "He's like, this is locals hour only, kid." And he hangs up the phone and I was super bummed about it. And then five minutes later, he the dude the the DJ aired the fucking call and like laughed all like laughed, like laughed at me on air. And I was like, "This is so embarrassing." <laughs> so that was like my first like I didn't own that CD, but I was obsessed with that song. And I remember calling in and he just. He just like shamed me for not realizing it was just like loud and local. I think that was the name of the show, like loud and local, and I didn't realize it. <laughs> That's messed up. Really, just almost like destroyed my interest in music with that one. <laughs> so any anger you've developed over the years is probably from that guy. Yeah, it's just like, dude, why'd you got why, why you gotta shame me? <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. Radio DJs are never as cool in real life as they are in the movies. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. Airheads oh, lied to you. <laughs> I remember being so bummed the first time I met Nipsey because I thought like our radio DJ was a celebrity and I was like that's Nipsey <laughs> like this guy's gross <laughs> he's still on the radio around here is he? I think so I think him and Jen Shade still have like a morning show oh bloody wow <laughs> oh. so, so Sonny you don't know but when Howard Stern went off of regular radio and did Sir- Sirius the local alternative hard rock music station here did a radio show in the morning that was a direct ripoff with uh, Nipsey. He had a comedian on with him, and then he had a female like weather type person that did the news. And it was Nipsey and Jen Shade, and the comedian was a couple different people over the years, but it was a direct ripoff of his show. Oh, okay. <laughs> Only in Central PA. <laughs> Got it. So you have some uh, connections to Central PA, not music-based, but more so BMX-based. Uh, do you yeah, want to talk so, about that a little bit? Yeah, so people don't realize that York, Pennsylvania is like the birthplace of modern flatland BMX. So for anyone who doesn't know, there's different styles of BMX. There's like dirt, jumps, there's street riding, there's vert, and then there's flatland. Everything with flatland is literally just on flat ground, so you're like spinning on the bike, manipulating momentum doing tricks on the bike without touching the ground. So it was, it started, I guess the original form of freestyle because there's really no rules with it. You can just do whatever you want on the flat ground. Um, so that started in like probably like the early seventies, maybe um, I might be wrong with that, but the style back then was just a lot of like bike is stationary and people like hopping up and down doing like pogos and things like that. And it was very like showy, and people were wearing like uniforms and like, you know, they'd like they'd hop around on one wheel and then sort of like wave their hand to the crowd to get them to like applaud. It was very like very performative. And there were these, there was a small group of guys in York, Pennsylvania called the Plywood Hoods was their name of their, their group. They were actually a bunch of break dancers who were also interested in BMX. And they started this whole new form of Flatland where they were, instead of like staying stationary and hopping around, they were like rolling. They were basically like the bike was like, they're riding the bikes and then also doing the tricks while the bike is moving. So a lot of like forward rolling, like nose wheelies and then whip, like doing a tail whip all on flat ground. So once they started like appearing on the scene, that's when like a whole, that like opened up a door within the flatland world of like what is, what was like possible. Um, and they actually had someone in their group who was a videographer. And so he was constantly like making, making, um, uh, videos of them riding under the series called uh, Dorkin in York. So there's like a bunch of, there's like 
there's a bunch of Dorkin videos in the series, and those were so revolutionary in like terms of inventing modern flatland. So people don't realize that like York, Pennsylvania is the birthplace of what flatland became. And so um, it was always this like place in my head, like, oh, one day I'm going to go to York. I'm going to go to York and like ride with these guys. And I have like a lot of these guys still ride today. And like they're in their like 50s, but they still are like passionate about it. They are still like on top of their game. And uh, so it's, it's great. And I mean, it's kind of dwindled down over the last few years, but since like the early nineties, they've had an annual like event where we call it like a jam. It's not like a contest, but everyone just comes and meets in this like same parking lot. And we all just like ride for like six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours and just like hang out and, and just feed off each other. So um, I've missed the last few years because I was like filming a wedding or filming a show, but it's something that I try to go to. And if I can't make it one year, like, there's always like some smaller scale thing that's going on in York. So anytime, anytime I am like shooting a show out in York, I try to like see if anyone's around and wants to ride. So York is definitely a place that I'd known about before even like, I think like I'd known about it even before getting into like punk. Um, Cause again, I was like riding, I, was, I think I was, I was riding before I actually got into punk and hardcore. So it's something that I've known about and something that I've always like held in like whenever, whenever everyone asks me, whenever someone's like, you've heard of, you've heard of York. I'm like, yeah, you don't know what York is. Like that's where the plywood, <laughs> plywood hoods are from. They used to ride at the, uh, there was this, what is, uh, is it Queensbridge shopping center? Queensgate shopping center. Queensgate. Yeah. Queensgate. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the big, there's a uh, movie theater there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a big parking lot at the top of the hill and that's where like a lot of the, original York jams were held in a lot of where like the Dorkin videos were filmed. So that's like a Mecca. <laughs> Anyone who goes to York, like they don't, we don't really ride there anymore. Cause I think the last time we tried riding there, we got kicked out. And then I think just the, the surface has gone to shit. Like they haven't paved it in a long time. So lately we've been riding at this, we call it like the hidden spot. There's a spot. I think that's off. Of sale. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to blow up the address, but it's behind this like building in this industrial park that we all, all kind of meet at now. It's, it's, it's much smaller, but it's sort of secluded and it, like it's perfect for what we want to do. And then when we have the jams every year, it's at the, it's at the, what is it? There's like a baseball stadium, I think. And there's a parking lot, like oh, right next to it that we were at it. Oh, yeah. yeah. It might be that one. Yeah. 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 I had no idea until you told me about that, but that's pretty wild. MC and I actually both used to work at the grocery store in that shopping center uh, at Queens. <laughs> <Okay. State. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I've lived in York my whole life, and I didn't know that story that you just told about those guys. So that's really cool. That's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, like, yeah, if you if you if you Google like uh, plywood hoods or Ke- Kevin Jones is the name. Kevin Jones is like the rider, and he still is. But like, he's responsible for like inventing so many tricks that are foundational today. So if you look him up on YouTube, you'll see all these videos of him just like around York, just doing some like really mind blowing things. Nice. I thought you, when you started in on this story, you were going to talk about the skate park here that a lot of people ride at, but no, that's a way better story. <laughs> yeah. I've actually never been to that skate park. I don't think. I think they just roped it off. It's like shut down now temporarily. Oh, really? We're quarantined. Quarantine. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, you started filming like your first shows as Hate Five Six around two thousand seven, and then oh nine you were able to set up the uh, the Burning Fight shows. How did that all come together? Yeah, so I officially launched the site I think fall of two thousand eight, 
Um, that's when I, I had posted the, I put up like the floor punch set. I think I filmed like a painted black set and have art and a couple other ones. So I had like, I had like a, maybe like a dozen or shows, dozen or so shows up there. And then I remember I had reached out to the burning fight people and I was like, Hey, like I'm a videographer in Philly. Like I, I want to come out like, cause nineties hardcore is the era that I wish I was involved in or I wish I was around for. So I, a lot of those bands I wanted to see, and like, I obviously wanted to film. And so I remember they, I heard back from them. Like they were like, Hey, we have someone um, lined up to shoot, but thanks anyway. And I was super bummed about it. And then like a couple days beforehand, uh, I got a message from them and they were basically like, Hey, everything fell through with our guy who's going to shoot. Like, if you want to do it, like you're more than welcome to. And I was like, yep, I'm 100% doing this. So I remember I went on that, I went on that silly message board that, that I was on where I was flat here. And I was like, Hey, I'm going out to this thing. I don't have much money. If anyone is able to donate a couple bucks to, for, cause at, at that time I was shooting to tapes. I wasn't shooting to memory cards. So I needed money to buy actual tapes to record on. So I, was, I asked people like, Hey, if you chip in five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, you can tell me which bands you want me to film. And that was actually one of the first times I like unknowingly relied on like crowdsourcing, you know, in a sense of like funding the production of the videos and in exchange, giving people a say in terms of what gets covered and what doesn't get covered. But I ended up shooting everything. And that was like, I remember my friend who was a photographer at the time. He was like, he's like, dude, this is going to be a turning point for you. Like you getting to shoot this is going to be like, an inflection point. And it actually was like, after I filmed that, that's when I noticed like traffic actually coming to my site. Cause people obviously wanted to see those videos. And that summer I filmed, this is hardcore for the first time. So I think shooting burning fight. And again, having that like last minute opportunity to do it, like really set the stage for me to like build or begin building K five six into like what it eventually became. Yeah. It's like a good stepping stone. Yeah, and again, like I had never shot a fest before that, besides just like random bands in southern New Jersey, but like a fest that scale I had never shot before. So it was like it was very nerve wracking, but it definitely taught me the lesson of like, all right, you gotta here's here's an opportunity, you kinda gotta step up to it. Like it's it's a little nervous, but you can't you can't sort of grow unless you're willing to like try bigger and bigger things. How was it working with a venue like the Metro for something like that versus what you were used to? I remember having to sign like, um, like they had a whole, um, origination fee around the video. Basically like a lot of venues like that, they don't like filming or if you're going to film, they make you pay like this really massive, like fee. Um, I think it has to do with like union dues or something. I don't know exactly what it goes behind origination fees, but I remember the promoter was like, just just shoot it <laughs> and i don't remember if i I, may, I think i actually signed something and they were just like don't worry about it you're not selling the footage like you're fine so it was like a little nerve-wracking because it was the first time i had had to deal with a venue that big but luckily like the promoters were sort of on my side and like sort of like massaging me the the venue owners to like be a little bit more be, be a little more relaxed with me what uh was your favorite set from that weekend Oh my gosh. So I was, I mean, I still am huge 108 fan. And so that right. was like a big thing for me. And actually I didn't, that was the one set I didn't film. If you watch that footage, you'll see me in the pit up front. I had my friend Dave, <laughs> I convinced my friend Dave to film that one from the balcony. But so besides that, I think the two that really meant the most to me were uh, trial and unbroken. Like that yeah. trial video is like one of the most insane videos I've ever filmed. 
like just hearing how loud the crowd was. And again, a lot of these bands, this was the first time they were playing in like 10 plus years. I really think burning fight was the, one of the first, if not the first, like boon into um, the whole reunion bubble. Like yeah. that sort of set the stage for all the reunions that would happen after that. Um, so there was just so much anticipation around both trial and unbroken. So those two stand out stuff me. Um, a big damnation AD fan. So filming that one was a lot of cool. was a lot of fun. Um, I ended up shooting that one from the side of the stage, which I kind of regret. A lot of the stuff from Burning Flight, I ended up shooting from the balcony, which I think worked better. But I think Damnation played early on the first day, and I was still like trying to figure out where I wanted to be. So I shot that one from the side of the stage, and I kind of wish I had not picked that spot because it didn't come out as, good, as great as it could have. I think uh, my favorite part of any of the videos is being able to rewatch Vic from 108 just – crawl with his guitar flat on the stage but still plugged in for like a minute just off the stage to end the set yeah that's one of the most ridiculous things i've seen but that's on par with vic i love vic but that's kind of like what vic does um most annoying sound ever but i was so intrigued by it i was just standing there like this yeah someone i don't know if it's true i don't know if it's like a myth at this point but allegedly because he crawls off behind the stage like you don't see he like he like crawls off stage allegedly he continued crawling down the steps down into the green room <laughs> i'd like to believe that's true i really like to believe that like even out of sight with the with the exception of like the promoter and other like security people he kept crawling all the way down into like the basement that's amazing <laughs> so you got into 108 presumably from the rage against the machine connection no yeah so it started with like being obsessed with rage and then hearing about inside out and then sort of tracing like, Oh, inside out also spawned into this band called one And I remember like, I, so I had heard about them and like really wanted to know more. And then Hellfest 2005 was announced and I was like, this is my chance. I get to finally see one and like really like get into it. And then for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what happened, like Hellfest 2005 just like completely fell apart. It like never happened. All the bands, like, all, a lot of the bands like were, were in town to play it, and, like didn't end up playing it. And so um, a lot of like mini shows popped up from it, which is actually like in hindsight, pretty cool that it happened. So 108 played a show in Philly. I think they played two shows in Philly uh, that summer. I think Lifetime played one of them too. And so a lot of like these bands that were supposed to play Hellfest ended up playing just smaller scale shows, and so it ended up working out really great. So I ended up, I still got to see 108 in a smaller room, um, but yeah, so it it all originated from like being obsessed with Rage and then finding out like oh this band was connected to them through this member and this other member. Are you uh, going to any of the Rage concerts coming up? So funny story. So I actually, I, so I, I crashed my car in December. I, uh, I fell asleep at the wheel at 3 p.m. because I went to see the new Star Wars the night before at like 1, 1 a.m. <laughs> so I like was up all night, and then the next day I was supposed to shoot a show in Jersey, like maybe an hour from me. And so I'm driving at like 3 p.m., and I'm, I'm on some county road, and I guess I fell asleep because I woke up and I like smashed into this car at a red light. And so I like wrecked my car and I'm like, God damn it. And it was only the hood, the only the hood was damaged, but it was still able to drive. But anyway, I like, I like filed a claim with my insurance and they were just like, yeah, your car's total. It's an 07, 130,000 miles. Like we're not going to repair this. So they gave me a check and I was supposed to use that money to 
go towards the new car, but I ended up using that money to buy a bunch of tickets to the Rage show. So I ended up buying tickets <laughs> to like 15 Rage concerts, 15 Holy of these Rage shows. Holy so, shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've literally been waiting for this moment for like 10 plus years. I saw them in, I saw them in, um, Oh, seven. And they put, I saw them at Coachella and rock the bells. And then since then, I've literally been waiting. I literally, I, I had Google alerts set for any time rage is mentioned anywhere on the internet. So every day for the last like nine years, I've gotten emails of just like nothing, just waiting. Like every time someone mentions it, I, I was hoping it would be like a reunion announcement and it never came. And it finally came. And I was like, you know what? I never go on vacation. I never spend money on anything. I just got this like settlement check in my car. I'm going to waste it all on these fucking shows. So I bought, yeah, I bought a bunch of tickets, but the first half of the tour is now postponed because of COVID-19. So um, the first shows were actually supposed to be this weekend. Um, so I was supposed to be in Texas and Texas on the 26th and then um, New Mexico on the 28th. And then the 30th, I was supposed to be in Arizona for the first three shows. So I'm a little bummed. Um, they're, they're saying that they're, they're going to start the tour halfway through, which would be like middle of May. But honestly, I, the way things are going, I don't see, I don't see any shows happening for much longer than that. So I think they're trying to play it conservatively and like hope that it's going to pan out. But I really feel like not just their tour. I feel like every tour, every hardcore show, every hardcore fan, like nothing's going to happen. So I have the tickets. I'm told that they're going to be good for whenever the shows get announced or, Maybe I'll get a refund, but I'm kind of hoping that, I mean, at, at this point, I'm, I don't know, like there was so much build up to these, these first few shows, like these first few shows were going to be in smaller venues and smaller. Um, they basically, the way they were doing it was they were, they were scheduling their first four shows in cities that had ice detention camps. And so they were planning to make a big statement around it. And they were, they're planning some events around that too. And so now that that's up in the air, like it's, if they do continue the tour, it's just going to be at like the first show back will be just some random fest. And it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's going to have the same build up as it could have. So I will probably go wherever it is. I will probably find a way to get there, but I, I'm just worried that it's not going to feel the same. So part of me hopes that they just scrap the whole tour and reschedule it from scratch. But yeah, I, at that point, I don't know, like, Dealing with, I mean, I've never been or I've never, never dealt with a band that big. So I'm sure that there's so many decisions that need to be made and so many people have to have their input. And I, I imagine it's a headache for every band of every size right now trying to like reschedule everything. So that's, I heard, um, I listened to a different podcast and they mentioned that the fall is like a war zone right now for booking agents because that's when everyone is trying to reschedule everything for. So they're already looking at like, the winter like the fall and the winter of next year you know what i mean because yeah. every, everything well, yeah. had to be pushed back so that's good and for that's... the old mc in the skid row garage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'll take a few of those casualties yeah no but seriously what you were saying about not knowing when this is coming like dealing with even much much smaller bands who are regionally doing shows most bands are like canceling things through the end of may at minimum and like Bands and like even touring bands, they're pushing things. June is hopeful at this point. Yeah, even that feels like a stretch. Like uh, just every day, and this is—I felt this way since the beginning of this this administration. Like even before this whole pandemic, I've been thinking like, damn, every day is worse than the last day. There's always something new in the news that's just like more depressing. And then this shit's happening. It's like, 
Damn, I thought I thought shit was bad like a month, like three months ago before it hit, but now it's like, whew, a whole new level of just just uncertainty and anxiety and just depression. That like, yeah. I, like we're not we're not really like humans aren't really built to deal with this 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 like amount and this frequency of just punishment. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and in 2020, the information coming at us about it is just insane. I mean, I was pointing out to my girlfriend this morning that on my Yahoo weather app on my phone, across the top is a banner that says coronavirus in Pennsylvania, the number of cases, and then in a bright red box, plus 587 today. So it's – and I look at the weather every morning because you know I work in an industry where if it's a, hot, it's a bright, sunny day, we're going to be busier. So – I try to plan my day and get myself mentally prepared and I'm waking up to 500 plus cases every day. And that's, that's, it's a mind fuck every morning. Yeah. And I think a big part of it is that, um, I think we're testing more. So I think more, oh, I think yeah. more people have it, more people have it than we actually know. Far, so far. I think, yeah. So I think, I think the, obviously the increase in number, is correlated with just the number of tests. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the number going up is never good, no matter how you cut it. Yeah. So how did you um, learn how to do something like Sage and help people find bands they like just by what, you know, they're already into? Yeah, so people don't know that. So before I was, I, I've been doing 8 by 6 full time for the last two years. So I just hit my two-year anniversary like about a week ago. So before I did that, before it was a full-time thing, it was just a hobby of mine. And my full-time job was working as like a computer scientist, um, was working for a bunch of like, I worked for a couple of small startups. I worked for some tech companies. So my background is formally in math and computer science. So I have a undergrad degree in math and I went to grad school for computer science. So a lot of like my professional life prior to doing HFX full-time was working as like a programmer. So I actually built a lot of AI systems for some of these companies in the past. So when I think I started working on Sage, I think it was probably late summer of 2017. Um, it was an idea that I had come up with for one of my jobs. And just in terms of trying to like build, essentially like we weren't building a recommendation system for the shop, but what we were building could be applied to a recommendation system. So I had been playing with this algorithm in like, we were essentially dealing with financial news articles. And so I was using this algorithm to like extract information and extract like relationships from news articles. And then I started thinking like, Oh, I could apply the same algorithm to listening habits or what people listen to. And like in such a way that you could query the system and say, Hey, I like bands A, B, and C, but I don't like bands X, Y, and Z recommend me something. So it was something, it was, it was an approach that I had encountered like in a different context, but I knew could be applied to like music. So I spent like a couple weeks, I spent like maybe two or three weeks, like working on the algorithm, refining it, doing some tests. And then once, once I felt like, Oh, you know, this is actually, potentially useful because it's it's it seems to be producing results that are sensible that's when i started like building the actual like front end for it and then making the interface for it so that i could actually like launch it so i actually launched it on i launched it on the anniversary of me starting hate by six so i think it was october like 9th 2017 is when i launched 
stage. So it's been it's been up for like a little over three years now. And I think it's made uh maybe like under I wanna say like under hundred and sixty thousand recommendations. Like people are people are using it and there's different ways you can use it. So you can actually like you can go on the Sage you can go on the site and actually ask Sage for recommendations. You can um when you're on uh if you're watching a video on YouTube on my YouTube channel and you see like the recommended bands in the description, that's all generated from Sage. So I've I found ways of just using the Sage engine, if you want to call it that, in other areas. So um I have like a private Discord server. Discord is like a chat room that's available for like people who are supporting me on Patreon. So anyone who's anyone who's like a Patreon subscriber has access to like the hate by six Discord chat server. Um, so I built like a bot on there that you can interact with. And the bot is basically Sage. You can actually you can actually send a DM to Sage and say like, I like I like um, Turnstile. Who do you recommend? And Sage will respond to you with a, with a private message saying, check out these 25 bands. So I'm constantly trying to find ways of like other ways that I could like put Sage out there. Um, but yeah, so it, it essentially originated from like having familiarity with this approach for a like completely unrelated job that I had. The way I looked at it was it was like a um, a six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but for your personal music preferences. Yeah, that's kind of – yeah, that's that's a good way of thinking about it. So if, the way it really works is you can imagine like a social network where like the, uh, the nodes in the graph are like bands and the edges are bands that are related somehow. So the data that I'm using is uh, listening habits from Last.fm. So Last.fm is like – a site that people use to track what they listen to. So if you go on last of them, it'll actually tell you given this band, these are, these are the top hundred most similar artists. And the way that they, they do it is by, you know, cause they're aggregating listening habits across hundreds of thousands of people. So I think what they're doing is something similar to what Netflix does. Cause Netflix has, you know, viewing uh, history for everyone who's on Netflix. So I think they use a similar approach to figure out like given this band, these are the 50 or hundred most similar bands. So basically what I did was I took all that data for like 200,000, some bands on last FM. I generated this like massive graph where all the nodes are bands and all the edges connect them based off of um, what last FM says are bands that are related. And so what Sage does, so Sage is an AI that basically does a random walk on that graph. So random walk is like, okay, I'm at this node and I'm, ra- I'm random, randomly going to walk on this edge and then I'm going to walk on this edge. And so what Sage does, it does, it does millions and millions of random walks on this graph and it tries to basically, it tries to understand like what is the neighborhood of bands around this given band. So, you know, the, the bands in the neighborhood of Minor Threat might be like Bad Brains or SSD or Black Flag, things that, you know, are obviously very similar and like... <clears throat> there might be a path from minor threat to turnstile, but it's going to take like 10 or 15 steps along different paths to get to turnstile. You know what, you know what I'm saying? So that, what that's Sage a very is doing good is, way of explaining it. <laughs> yeah. So what Sage is doing, it's, it's, it's doing a lot of like small walks around bands. It's not walking too far because it, it doesn't want to like go too far from the path, but it wants to walk far enough out that it's getting some diversity, but it's not going too far out. So what Sage does, it just, it does millions of those random walks and it tries to find the relationships between those bands. So that's so what's different about Sage versus like, so again, like last of them, you can go on and say, what are the top hundred most similar bands to minor threat? But what's, what's, what's powerful about Sage is you can actually enter in both minor threat and turnstile and bad brains 
as like a combination. And so what it's, it's, it's learned to sort of generalize, it, it's learned to generalize the data from Last.fm in a way that like Last.fm can't do on their own. Nice. All right, so I have an offer for you here, Sonny. We have a game on the on the podcast called Debate Game where we call in our buddy Sean Farrell from Massachusetts. And then we Oh, be, I know Sean. Yeah, you want to debate him on a topic that we pre-picked for you? Yeah. Wait, so is, he, is he calling in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. Um, he should be ready. I told him to be ready. He was very excited about this one. Oh, I haven't talked to Sean in so many years. I'm very excited for this. Hi, Sean. <laughs> what up? Oh, my God. It's Sean. What's going on, my friend? Dude, I haven't talked to you in so long. It's so good to hear your voice. Oh, I know, man. You too. I miss you. Dude, let me, before we go any further, let me tell everyone a little story about Sean. So I lived in Massachusetts for a couple of years after grad school. And the last time I was supposed to see Sean was the day I was supposed to move, and I needed help moving all of my stuff out of my apartment into uh, into a U-Haul, and I waited around all day for Sean, and Sean no showed. So I had to load up my entire apartment by myself. <laughs> Sean, smart move. I've helped people move and all a lot. It's, it's really <laughs> okay. We're a really good start. Glad to be here. Board <laughs> <laughs> house party. Okay, right. so. There's a little bit of karma coming your way, I guess, Sean, for for that story. So the topic for t- <laughs> for tonight's debate is: If you die in Canada, do you die in real life? <laughs> Whoa! And Sean, you're of the opinion that no, you don't. <laughs> Sonny, if you die in Canada, yeah, you still die in real life. That's your opinion. Okay. So, opening statement, who wants to go first? Um, Canada, I'm told that I've been there. <laughs> um, I know that I've gone to see a show in Montreal, which I'm told is part of Canada, which leads me to believe that it is a place, but I don't know that I can really guarantee that it's a real place or that I was alive while that was happening. I was with a bunch of really aggressive people from New Hampshire yelling at uh, the kind of punks who wash your windshields with really shitty homemade face tattoos. So I don't know if I was alive, if I was in a fugue state, if that was real life. So if you die in Canada, you might just end up at a show standing in a line while some guy comes over and tries to get you to go to his massage parlor and winks at you because there's definitely hand jobs going on there. I don't know. Canada's maybe not a real place. And if you die there, I'm not so sure that you're dead. My one experience there was pretty surreal. Wow. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty strong argument. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Opening statement, Sonny? Well, so the way I look at it is I'm going to be filming shows until the day I die. So the way I see it is as long as videos are coming out, I'm still alive. So as of right now, you know, people don't realize this, but as of right now, I have about, I have about 150 videos that are ready to go. So I could die today and for the next 150 days, videos will come out. So people will think I'm alive for the next 150 days, but at some point there's going to be nothing left in that queue. So if I die in Canada, there's going to, come a point where there's no new videos being added to the queue so the way i see it is i'm probably dead in real life it's as simple as that there's <laughs> going to be no more output from me 
I mean, if your friend oh, is actually just artificial intelligence and you don't help him move when he's leaving the city you both live in, <laughs> did you really not help your friend move because he's artificial <laughs> intelligence? I don't know. We're sweating hairs. I don't know. So, Sonny, if you die in Canada tomorrow, you really live on for 150-ish days. That's correct. Yes, yes. So, okay. yeah, I, the site is automated for the next 150 days. And I, I've been adding like one or two sets a day. So it's roughly about 150 days that's, that's good for. So, and I've done that intentionally because I, I know that at some point I'm going to die. And I, I want, I'm very, I'm very excited. As, well, I won't, I won't know because I'll be fucking dead. But I'm curious to see how people will respond knowing that, I'm, knowing that I have died, but still seeing me tweet out, here's another Jesus piece set from Australia. <laughs> so um, if you die in Canada and the last Bane set, still hasn't come Ooh. out yet are you really dead is sunny really dead if uh i mean you say 150 sets so maybe like you know however many days that represents but if the last bane set never comes out do you ever really die so if you die in canada and that bane set is still just like circling the drain are you dead i don't know well I don't know. <laughs> What what I have to float to you is did I actually press record at the last Bane show or did I forget? <laughs> I don't know that I would have. So I would argue that me dying in Canada and the cor the correlation between me dying in Canada and the last Bane set there's no, actually no correlation there because I may not have actually pressed record at the show and I've been I've been leading people on this whole time. The new debate is if Sonny's there is he actually filming? Turns out maybe not. <laughs> I'm impressed yeah. that we basically decided that Canada is purgatory. <laughs> yeah. Canada is is kind of purgatory. We've <laughs> Canada a lot so, lately. I don't know so, why. So if Canada's purgatory, are the pearly gates the border check-in? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's a rough That's... scene. <laughs> Hot That's abysmal. I mean... Slightly related note, how sad are Canadians right now that there's no hockey? Because America can't get their shit together. <laughs> you know, I did not think about that. I really didn't think about that. There's pretty much just like a few weekends away from a trans-Canadian Jim Jones type scenario <laughs> unfolding. And maybe... Will they be dead? Will any of them know if they all collectively drink the Kool-Aid at the same time? It's not going to be Kool-Aid. It's going to be they're Tim Hortons coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Tim they're all going to go to Tim Hortons, coffee. get their fill-up. Mixed with Pour one out for Lord Stanley. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I turn on the TV and I see Don Cherry dousing himself in maple syrup and shoving poutine in his mouth, I'll know it's the last day for Canada. Strong take. Yeah. Wait, is that the shitty racist guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, any? Do you guys have any closing statements as far as uh, the Canada topic? Um, I don't want to die in Canada. But would you be dead anyway? I'll let you know. Ah. <laughs> uh. I mean, I don't want to die in Canada either, but I got to go somewhere at some point. So if I go in Canada, I guess it's got to be there. 
Uh, if I get shot in Philadelphia moving all of Sonny's stuff into a U-Haul without him knowing, am I really dead? I'll let you know in oh, yes. six to seven hours. Yes. That's how long it takes to drive there. Yes. Uh, I, I've, I've lived in Pennsylvania long enough to know that if you get shot in Philadelphia and die, you are you're certainly dead. dead. Shit. Yeah. yeah, you're 100% dead. Yeah, because the way Pennsylvania works is you're probably going to get your ass kicked too before you actually bleed out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe even robbed in the process. Yeah. 100%. It didn't start as a robbery, but it ended as one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to being that headline. Do you guys uh, remember Rob, that, like when that like fake robot was just hitchhiking across the country and then it got to Philadelphia and, it just got destroyed. Yeah, Hitchbot. They fucking destroyed Hitchbot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally forgot about Hitchbot till right now. Fucking Gritty was probably at the top smashing it with a baseball bat. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I don't think Gritty existed yet, but his soul did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In in all in all of Philadelphia. <laughs> all right. Well, Sean, do you have any parting words? He's just trying words? to destroy yeah. the machines. Sonny kind of came at you pretty hard, Sean. Do you have any parting words for him? Uh, I'm shook. Um, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go rethink what a fucking rat dick of a friend I've been to so many people for so many years and really reassess my life and, um, you know, hopefully come out of it a better person. Uh, maybe go to Canada, die or not die, enter a tunnel of light, have a real reflection, real time for growth. And, uh, you know, I'll see you guys on the other side of that transformation. (laughs) 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 Just kidding. I'm just going to text Sonny pictures of my poop for a week. (laughs) There you go. Well, Sean, look at it this way. You you pulled a good friend duty by answering the call when I called you in my bathtub desk if you wanted to be the debater on this show. So, look, it comes full circle. You get the benefits of coming on and. Learning how good of a friend you are. Nice. <laughs> Life Thanks. is full circle. Yeah. <laughs> well, well you, can, you can crawl into your quarantine cocoon and emerge a beautiful, resplendent butterfly of a friend afterwards. <laughs> I am not getting any more beautiful during this quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, see you guys. Thanks, Thank Sean. you, Sean. Bye, Sean. Hell wow. yeah. Nice work, Sonny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I honestly, I, if I remember correctly, he fell asleep and I was like waiting and I was waiting and I like packed up and moved and then he finally like texted me when I was already in Philly and he's like, dude, I fell asleep. I was like, great. Thanks for telling me. Unbelievable. Remember yeah. when um, we, uh, uh, his friend Bill, they were maintained together. I don't know if you remember uh, remember that band. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, we were supposed to stay at his house one night, and we showed up, and then he slept and didn't answer our phone calls or answer the door because his door was locked. So we just slept on his porch in the cold the whole night. Oh my god! I think that what? was I think that was the first time I met Bill Steven. Yeah, shout out to Bill. <laughs> Damn. Well, Sonny, do you uh, what's your white whale band as far as filming? And Rage Against the Machine doesn't count. Uh, white whale band. Um, uh, let me think about this. 
Does it have to be one or can I name two? No, do whatever you like. Uh, I would say Fugazi. I would love to film a Fugazi set. Um, that Fugazi DVD instrument was like one of the first things that blew my mind in terms of like documenting a band. So oh, I've yeah. always imagined like what, what it would be like to film Fugazi. Um, I've been on a huge Sunny Day real estate kick and I'd love to film them if they ever come back around. Um, I would say those two. I mean, everyone always expects me to say inside out, but I, I, I think I would rather just be going off for that than to be I, stuck behind a camera. I can't believe with all of the bands from that era and that genre that have reunited. And I know they've done one, but it's, or, but it's been a fucking while that sunny day real estate hasn't done one, especially with Jeremy still doing like touring and solo shit. Yeah. Well, he was actually on Facebook live yesterday. He posted a cover. He did an acoustic cover of a, well, not cover, but he acoustic version of red elephant and everyone in the comments is just like, please, please do one more reunion show when this, when this quarantine ends. Like, like everyone's like begging him, but yeah. who knows, you know, that's awesome. I didn't see that. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, there's like an archive of it. You can still watch it. It's really, it's, it's awesome. And people are like, like getting really emotional in the comments over it. Well, that's, yeah, I don't know. I would, I, yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm going to, I mean, I was, I got to add bad brains to that bad brains in their prime would be amazing. The film to that, that CB set is like one of the most, one of the like most important, like live punk recordings of all time. So if I had the chance to shoot them in their prime, like that would be the top of the list. But yeah, I would say them or, or bad brains. No, yeah. sorry, them or, or Fugazi. Um, so as far as what you've been up to recently, I know, uh, you've got the Patreon going now. How, well, that's not recent, I guess. How long has that been? Uh, two years now, two years, two years. Is that, uh, obviously that's doing pretty well. How has that changed things for you as far as being able to film shows? Um, so, uh, it's allowed me to do eight by six full time. Um, so it's obviously allowed me to like focus a hundred percent of my time towards not just filming, and traveling the film, but also just that like focusing more time editing. So um, I went from doing like 250 videos a year to close to like 800 just by being able to go full time with it. Um, it's allowed me to do a couple tours. I've done two tours through Japan, I filmed like a bunch of Japanese bands. I just did a tour in Australia, covered a bunch of bands there. And I've in the last like year and a half, I've done a bunch of like small weekends in various like scenes across the country. So I did like Oklahoma, Chicago, um, and like, California. So I, I, it's allowed me to like basically cover like regional bands that might not come through Philly where I'm, where I'm like typically right. based. So, yeah. um, that's been like a huge thing for me. It's been about how can I make, cause everyone it, it's, the, the, the story I get everywhere I go is the same. If you were people just say, like, oh, I've been watching Hate Six for 10 years. Like I discover all these bands from you. So for me, it's about how can I provide Hate Six as like a service or a platform to these like local bands in smaller scenes across the world. So that's largely the direction I'm taking it in now. Like how can I use the platform that I've built to like make sure that bands, make sure that I'm represent, giving representation to like bands globally that might not come through like, you know, the U S anytime soon. So part of the cool thing about hate five, six and uh, just whatever you work on in general is how you relate your, um, your work in the hardcore scene with activism. Uh, if you could say anything to people planning on voting in primaries or this election season, what would you tell them? Um, I would say vote with your conscience. 
and do not be bullied into voting for something that you don't believe in. And I know that's not a popular opinion, but right now the options that we're given, I mean, uh, one is a piece of shit and one is a piece of shit wearing a, like a nice little ribbon. So I, I think that it's, you know, there are different ways to be involved and your involvement does not stop and should not stop at the ballot box. So pull the lever that you feel like best represents you if there is an option for you, but it doesn't stop there. Um, local elections are just as, if not more important for your immediate community and sort of like things that are happening around you. And also just find ways of getting involved in like organizations and solidarity movements in your community. Cause I think that goes a long way. So I think people sort of feel that um, it starts and ends when you pull that lever. And uh, I think it's important to realize that that's not the case. And it's important to continue finding ways that you can be involved and you can sort of push the needle. I mean, not everyone needs to be like a revolutionary that, that overthrows the system, but everyone has a voice and has the capacity to sort of like move a needle in some direction. I think once people realize their individual capacity to do that, then collectively we can like make a larger impact than simply like voting every four fucking years. Well said. Um, are, what's your thoughts on as far as obviously it's Biden versus Bernie now, if Biden were to win the Democratic primary, what are your thoughts on people who say things like blue no matter who or whatever or voting with who you truly believe in regardless? Well, the thing with the, the what, I mean, what there's, what's coming out in the news now is all these like assault allegations against Biden. And so if we're being told to vote for him because he's blue, then what does that mean about sort of like all the criticisms, all the, all the criticisms that were made against Trump for like the misogynistic things that he said? So why is it that like we're expected to like hold our nose and, and vote for this one guy when the criticisms for him are the exact same reasons we were told? Like this other guy, meaning Trump, is evil. You know what I mean? So it's it's constantly being told that you kind of need. We just need to suck it up and do this thing. But I think that people don't. I really feel like people in certain with certain types of privilege don't realize that like having a democratic establishment doesn't mean everything's going to go away. Like fucking Obama was dropping bombs and dropping, like having drone strikes and, and <laughs> ripping brown people apart in, in, you know, the Middle East, you know, and people don't, people don't always think about that or the fact that, you know, uh, Obama had like the highest number of deportations under his administration than like Bush. So I think that sort of people who are saying blue, no matter who it's easy for them to say it because they benefit, or I should say that the, like the the day-to-day oppression or the, the day-to-day like violence doesn't necessarily affect them in the way that it affects people of color and other marginalized groups. So yeah, I think the people who are saying blue, no matter who really needed to like take a step back and evaluate what exactly like, what do those, like who, who do those administrations that they're, that they're pushing for actually benefit at the end of the day. And that's something that I think takes a lot of reflection and a lot of, acceptance and acknowledgement of your own privilege and how you benefit from certain things that might not necessarily affect you, um, obviously, from uh, on a day-to-day basis. Cool. Good answer. Um, there's one last thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap it up and do shout-outs or whatever, but you did the, uh, the shoot for the Code Orange live uh, on live thing. I don't know what to call it. Um, the, the live stream? 
the live show, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? And have you been approached by any other bands to do something similar? Yeah. So I had been planning, like Code Orange and I, we were planning to shoot the show regardless. Like we would spent, we spent like a couple weeks like talking about, oh, we're going to shoot the show. We'll have multiple cameras and like, you know, I was basically going to treat it like a regular show that I shoot with expecting there was going to be a crowd and other bands and I'd be filming it, getting a soundboard feed and doing all this and that. And so as things were happening with this coronavirus, it became increasingly clear that the show was off, but the band was adamant that they wanted the show to continue because they had spent all this like time and, and all these resources, like building their stage production and like gearing up for this moment. I mean, this is like their record release and something that they've been sort of building up to for the last two or three years. So they knew that even if the show was off, that they were going to do something. So about 48 hours beforehand, they called me and said, Hey, maybe we should try like live streaming it. So I had never done a live stream of that scale before. I've, I've done like a single camera live stream and I've done some live streams of me like editing, but never like a multi-camera with a soundboard feed. So the pressure was on and it was like, all right, well, and again, this felt like a similar to me shooting burning fight where it, it, it really felt like, okay, I need to sort of rise to this challenge because this could be like an inflection point. And yes, it's really scary. And yes, there are a thousand things that could go wrong, but if it goes right and it goes well, like this could be, like a turning point. So um, we spent the entire, like I got to Pittsburgh, I left Philly at like 4.30 a.m. and I got to Pittsburgh at like 9.30 a.m. And then by 11, we were like loading in, setting up at the venue. And basically we spent all day just like running tests, doing dry runs. And we actually considered, we considered like recording the set at like 3 p.m. and then just airing a stream of it at 8. Because like no one would know the difference. Um, But we decided like, let's actually just go live with it. So what people saw when they were tuned in was actually like live, maybe with like a 30 second delay just from being a streamed thing over the internet. But it was essentially live um, at the peak. We had 13,000 people watching, which is I mean, more. I mean, the, the, the capacity at the venue was maybe like 1100, 1200 people. So like 10 times as many people watched it, watched it. Um, it had like over a hundred thousand views within 24 hours. Um, got some really great press from it. So popular science wrote an article about it. GQ mentioned it and like all these, and now we're seeing a lot of, a lot of bands doing like live streams in the wake of this like quarantine. So they weren't the first band to do a live stream, but I think in this new atmosphere that we're in where we can't have live shows, I think they were the first to sort of, sort of act on it. And I think that's why it caught so many people's attention. So um, I haven't been approached. I did a live stream with uh, year of the knife in a uh, small recording studio in New Jersey. Um, that got like maybe like 2000 viewers. And so the plan is to like do more of them. Um, you know, cause obviously I think everyone is sort of accepting the fact that we aren't going to have shows for a while. So I think once this forced quarantine or isolation, whatever you want to call it, I think once that sort of relaxes a little bit, I'm going to try to do more of these, these live streams, uh, maybe like one band at a time. But I'm, I mean, I've, I've been told that like, I mean, I know that like a lot of people were tuned into that code orange stream. Like I'm sure, People from WWE are watching because Code Orange has a relationship with them. I know like people from Slipknot were watching it. Scott Ian was watching it from Anthrax. Like all these major people were watching it. So I'm nothing's happened yet, but I'm hoping at some point people will remember that like I was the one who like made it happen and they'll come knocking on my door. But as of now, I've sort of not heard anything. But I've I've been told that like people are aware that I did it and they they all think it's really cool. So I'm kind of like at this point just waiting. Cool. Sounds good. I, yeah, it was definitely impressive. I didn't expect the amount of like effects and everything and 
like on top of being live streamed to be pulled off as well as it was. So Good yeah, work. no, thanks. And again, we were, we were all nervous and we were all like, well, maybe we could try this. And this, the whole idea of like blending in the video footage was something that the band, cause the band was when, if, and when they actually like tour, they're going to have a lot of that stuff projected behind them. Right. So it was really important that they really wanted to incorporate that with the stream. And so, um, we actually contracted this like EV company in Pittsburgh to bring a bunch of their gear. I mean, I have, I have a lot of gear, but I don't have everything that I need. So this guy brought like the switcher and the switcher literally had a way for us to do like a cross blend between like a camera feed and a feed coming from like a separate video signal. So once he brought that, we were like, Oh, actually we can really like, we can, we can literally like blend in like some of this motion graphics that the band created into the live stream. And that's like, when we were able to like, when we did like a test test run of that and we saw how it came out, we were like, okay, this is going to be fucking cool. Like this is how we're doing it. So I'm really glad that that actually worked out. Awesome. Well, um, I have a, I have one more question sort of tied in. Yeah. I know. So Sonny, I know you had said when, I think it was one of the guys from youth of today went on Joe Rogan's show that your numbers really spiked up for their videos. Is that correct? Yeah. It was the youth of today set. I wanted to use the today set sets from okay. the hardcore. Like there's a huge spike from the Joe Rogan show. So have you seen any other spikes like that from other events or have you seen your, your site viewing go up because of obviously everyone being quarantined and not being able to get out and do things? Or has there been any other big event like that where you really saw a spike dramatically from one specific event? Yeah, there was a spike in uh, views of the hat, like all of my old have heart stuff when their, when their reunion got announced, like there was a huge spike then. I haven't looked much since then, but I'm sure that there are other cases of like maybe a band retweeting an old video and that gets a spike. But I actually had the, the last couple of days I've been looking in the view. I've been looking at the viewing history to see if there's a noticeable trend in people like in increased watch time, just because people are, in, are like stuck inside now, at least on YouTube, I'm not seeing that the, the trend for the last like couple of weeks is no different than the last few months. It, I haven't noticed an increase. I think that, if this quarantine goes on for much longer then maybe that trend will sort of like emerge a little bit more, but right now it doesn't seem to be the case. But the one trend that I have noticed is that views on Instagram are like through the roof. So before this all happened, I was maybe posting like, I was posting about two or three videos a day and like maybe like on a good day, uh, a post on Instagram would have like five, 6,000 views on the low end. A bad, bad post would have 2000 views. Um, but now that we're, so I'm being sort of conservative now because I want, I want my backlog of videos to last as long as it can. You know what I mean? So I'm only posting one video a day now. And so what I'm noticing is that, uh, for the last like a week or two weeks now, all of my posts on Instagram are getting like between 10 to 20,000 views. So I think people are just on Instagram a lot more now. And now that I'm just posting one video, it's driving more of their attention to that one video. So, um, Again, I think that does help the band because really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying, whenever I post any video in a quarantine or not in quarantine, like my objective is to get as many eyes on that band as possible because it does help the band reach large audience. They have increased merch sales, more show offers, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's been nice at least, even though I'm not seeing an increase in YouTube traffic, I am seeing like a huge increase in just like people actually just like checking out a clip on Instagram. So that's been a cool thing to, to notice. Nice. So uh, rumor has it that when you posted the Reservoir record release video, you actually had a downward negative spike in uh, – <laughs> <in, laughs> 
Yeah, dude, it was like I, I lost so many subs that day. Like I, I still have not recovered from that. <laughs> you're you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, that's all we got for today. I guess we'll wrap it up. Do you have any shout outs you want to give? Any other um, people filming stuff that uh, you support around, like whether it's, I guess it could be around the whole world at this point or anything? Uh, yeah, I got to give a shout out to my friend Jeff from Pete First Productions. He's based in like Wilkes Bear. Um, he shoots some hardcore. He shoots a lot of like indie and a lot of like emo rap. Like he's really into like Wicca Wick Phase and. Stuff like that. And he's, I think he's actually filmed like a Benny the Butcher set. So he's really into like rap and stuff. Um, he helps me with this is hardcore. He helped me with this code orange stream. Anytime I have like a big thing, he's like my go-to guy. So I got to give him props for always helping me out and always being, being a good uh, brain to pick whenever I have some ideas. So please check him. He's got a YouTube channel, everything feet first Productions. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Yep, uh, we'll be in touch soon. I'm sure we'll see you around once coronavirus is gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please, please stay safe. And like, dude, I really feel like we're going to be in this for a long time. But I was telling MC once this is done, like I want to come out to like Skid Row and shoot some shit. So, hell yeah, oh, yeah. Awesome. Good talking to you. See you later. Th- yeah. Thanks, Sonny. See you guys. Bye. Bye, Sonny. Bye. Well, that's it. Party on, Justin. Party on, MC. We're living on the edge.